Hey, beautiful. What I want to know is what's really good in your life today. I'm Kia, and this is episode three of the Female Veterans Podcast. Now, usually I will have guests who are veterans and, you know, we share our stories and we help each other and inspire each other. But this week, I'm going to do a special guest. My special guest is still on active duty. She is a captain in the Air Force, and she has a rather exceptional story, in my opinion. She currently holds a bachelor's degree in psychology. She deployed to Germany. She worked in the SARC unit, and she is part of personnel. I believe that serving in the military as a female makes us have very, very unique stories. And this is one that I was privileged enough to hear as we work together in another one of the London Real Academy's classes in Speak to Inspire, where DeAndrea was honing her skills in order to be a more effective leader for her airmen, which is really awesome. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce DeAndrea. And I'm going to start off by asking you, what made you join the military? Hi, Kia. So it's, it's funny. I've always had an interest in being in the military. I would always hear stories from my mother. She would tell me growing up about how she was in the service. She was actually in the Army, active duty. And she uh, kind of piqued my interest a little bit. And then I, it kind of laid dormant for a little while. And then um, I was going to school. Um, I went to college in, in Alabama. And I I think it just kind of came back up again. It just sparked my interest again because there was a ROTC detachment there at my school. And a funny thing is I was actually a little afraid to go to the office and ask questions because, you know, the there's the misconception of, you know, the recruiter that's trying to take advantage of you and everything. But it wasn't like that at all, actually. Um, uh, So, you know, I went to the office and I I asked questions and, you know, they didn't try to make me join or anything like that. They just answered my questions and and that was it. And um, after that, you know, I I started the very next semester and and the rest is history and here I am. (laughs) Wow. So Jesse, it started with your mom. That's pretty incredible. Like from woman to woman, (laughs) you know, getting passed down to go into the military. (laughs) Actually, my mom, her dream was to go into the army, actually. And I remember her working out and getting ready to go to boot camp. And I think I was like six. And we went to go stay with our grandfather while she went was supposed to go to boot camp. And then one day she just turned up and we we're like, what's going on? Why are you here? And she was like, I'm not going to boot camp, but you're going to have a little brother. <laughs> so it was kind of like sad for her, but happy for me. And ultimately resulted in me joining the military because it was sort of like her getting to live vicariously through me. So I ended up um, going to military, but I chose the Navy, which was my little act of rebellion against doing what my mom wanted as a 19 year old. Yeah, so that's how I ended up. But it, it was passed down to me, like this desire, just like you, to go into and go and serve. So I guess my next question is, what was 
boot camp like for you, but it, for officers, it's not boot camp, right? It's it's field training. Yes, it's field training. So um, the ROTC program is just a four-year program, and you're basically in it at the same time that you're earning your bachelor's degree. And so it serves as a way to be an effective leader before you get in. And um, so your first year, you know, you're there just to see if you like it. You have no obligations to the military at all. Your second year, you're actually competing for a field training slot. And you're competing against all the cadets across all of the U.S. Um, Wow, so I didn't know that. I didn't know you had to compete. Yes, yeah, so you don't just get a field training slot. It's not automatic. You have to compete for it, and, um, and it's 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 pretty hard work. But you know, as long as you do the work and you do what you got to do to to make it through, then um, then usually end up turning out fine. But the second year, you know, you, you compete for the field training slot, and if you get it, then you go to field training that same summer, the summer of your sophomore year. And so that's what I did, and it's a little different than boot camp because in boot camp you have no baseline right you you start knowing nothing and then you go into it and they teach you everything you need to know while you're there field training is a little different you learn all you need to know before you go and field training is the test ah i I like that (laughs) yeah so they're there to basically see how you operate under pressure see how you see how well you do in organizing a team and building a team, see how much of a team player you are yourself. And they see how you react to certain situations. Are you a competent leader? And they use that as a way to kind of measure that. So it was, uh, it was tough. It was tough. Uh, but once again, I mean, as, as long as you're focused you know, what you need to do, then, you know, you can, you can make it through. Right on. I agree. I mean, boot camp was tough. I remember uh, there being so many classes, which is probably what you're talking about, ROTC. You learn those things ahead of time. But in boot camp for me, it was, I remember being shocked that, that, that there wasn't as much exercise as I expected. But there were so many more classes, naval history, like everything. And I was just, and you would be so exhausted from all the exercise. (laughs) And then you'd be going through these classes and like, I remember standing up sometimes just to stay a week so that I could, you know, get all the information in because I was so fatigued. But, you know, that's boot camp life and you get through it. And at the end, you're so proud of yourself because you're like, you did it. And then... Right, it's like the light at the end of the tunnel when you (laughs) you made it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's like the most fun... They say it's like the most fun you never want to have again in your life. <laughs> I agree with that. That's a really good assessment. I mean, because when I left, I was like, and it's sad because I don't think I saw any of those girls again, almost all of those girls I have never seen again. But by the end of boot camp, we were so close. It's, I mean, it's amazing how you can bond over not having any, any bathroom stall doors or having to shower in the room <laughs> with a bunch of chicks. How quickly you submit friendships. <laughs> so, um, but anyway. Or have it, having, having four females to take a shower and get dressed. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, four, I think it's kind of lucky. I, I think we were showering. Like, uh, I, I, I think there was at least eight of us in a shower. 
if I maybe I'm exaggerating that memory. I don't know, but I think it was like that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but okay, so boot camp. We made it through both of us. Well, you made it through field training, and then you became so an officer. And tell me about your military experience. I mean, I know you're getting out soon in December, right? Yes, yes, it will be. Okay, so tell me what it's been like for you. It's been definitely a roller coaster, and and I've definitely learned a whole lot about myself. And it's it's one of those careers where you are forced to come to terms with who you are and really kind of just do a lot of introspection because there's a lot of work and a lot of pressure that's put on you and you have to figure it out, right? Mm -hmm. You have to, you know, and and of course they encourage you not to do it by yourself. They encourage you to find a mentor. Um, But at the end of the day, it's, it's you doing the work and it's you pushing through to make sure that your airmen are taken care of. It's, it's you pushing through to, um, there are a lot of people who really know how to take care of other people, but you got to take care of yourself at the same time. And so how do you find that balance? How do you make sure that you're managing your time effectively while at the same time standing out amongst your peers? So it's, it's really tough. It's a tough balance to learn. So when I first came in, I was super gung-ho, you know, I was going to stand for the full, you know, I was going to stand for 20 years and yeah. I was going to retire as a colonel, you know, full bird colonel. Um, that was my, was my initial goal. So my, my first duty station, uh, I got stationed at Misawa, Japan, and it was an amazing assignment. I, ha- I had a whole lot of fun, but I didn't, I didn't have a lot of people around me who shared the same mindset as myself. And so I was kind of taken back by that. And I basically felt like there was no one who really kind of understood me. Yeah. And and, uh, when you are, when you're in that mindset and there's so much that you have to do, there's so much that you have to push through, you know, like I said, you got to stand out amongst your peers. You got to, you are as an officer learning on the curve because it's, it's a little different from enlisted enlisted. Uh, you have courses that you take, you know, there's specific training that you have to help you get down the technical piece. Right. But for officers, we are heavily relying on the enlisted force so that we can learn our jobs because our job is to make sure um, that they have. Yeah. I mean, tech school is, they just give you the basics and then you're kind of off on your own to learn it. And so we, we rely heavily on the enlisted force to learn our jobs. And, you know, we are there to make sure that they have everything that they need so that they can get the job done. We are there for the sole purpose of taking care of them. And so you got to figure out, well, how do I do that? And, you know, when you first get in, you know nothing. Right. <laughs> we know nothing. So we're, we're asking so many questions and um, kind of trying to get our feet wet and everything. And so in the middle of that, you know, trying to learn my job and, you know, trying to stand out and volunteering for all these different base activities and everything. And exactly, exactly. And, and that's exactly how it felt. And, you know, put that on top of, not really having anybody who understands you that you can talk to. And so it kind of took me to a place there where 
I just felt alone. Yeah. And it can really take a toll on you because if it doesn't, if the situation doesn't change, you know, it, it can get worse because over time you're getting more and more responsibilities. And so, oh yeah. you know, it's like, where does it end? So fast forward, uh, I got into, I became a SARC. And for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's a sexual assault res- response coordinator. Which is important. And work. so it's tough, but at the same time, it can be very rewarding. And uh, it's not one of those jobs where somebody can just tell you that, hey, this is your assignment here, go do it. That's one of those jobs where you actually have to be into something like that because a lot of people believe that being a SARC is about getting the perpetrator, right? Yeah. That's not what it's about at all. It's about making sure that the victim has what they need. And sometimes that means there is no stipulation for the perpetrator and that's okay. If that's what the victim wants, the reason why they are there at in your office in the first place, you know, sitting in front of me is because their voice was taken from them, right? Yeah. So if their voice is taken from them, it would do the situation no good if we just completely ignored their wishes and just gone after the perpetrator anyway, because now the cat's out of the bag, there's an investigation and all this stuff. And sometimes they just want to slow it down and they just want to recover. It's not all the time that, you know, they want to go after the perpetrator. Amazing that I've been talking to so many women and um, talking to them. And it's surprising to me, even though I know that the statistic is one in four women is sexually assaulted while serving. And that's what the DOD reports. Even though I know that statistic, it's really incredible to me to, to find out that so many of them really just didn't want to report and didn't want to pursue the perpetrator, it always takes me aback. But then when you hear the story more, you understand that it's so like humiliating to be put through that all over again when you're trying to get justice. Absolutely. I mean, we, from the outside looking in, we would never want somebody to go through that, right? And so our first instinct is, who did it? Let's get them. Yeah. But (laughs) we so easily forget, we so easily forget about what, what is the vic- what are the victims' needs? What are their needs? What do they want? Because it's not about us. It's about them and making sure that they have what they need so that they can recover. And in that, that's what starts to get uh, rewarding because you, someone comes into my office and they come there at their worst moment, at the worst time of their lives, right? And then you get to see them go from that to, you know, first, you know, they didn't want to be around anybody. You know, they have to take leave all the time because they're afraid that people are going to know or, you know, they don't. And then you go to see them, you know, leading events and, (laughs) you know, it's, it's very rewarding to see them go from that to just excelling and just and they may not be completely over and it may still be there but you get to see just how strong people are and sometimes it can really encourage you just to watch somebody go from the worst moment of their life to now they have overcome this huge thing that was weighing them down and now they're free from it so in that sense it it was incredibly rewarding and 
you know, I, I would tell them, yeah, I, I was a Sark. And then they'll look at me like, whoa. Man. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, I said, yeah. And from the outside looking in, people would think, you know, it's all bad. You know, you just got to listen to sad stories all day. And it's like, no, not really. Cause it starts off sad, but it goes to a whole nother place and you get to see them go to a, just a strong place in their life. And it's really awesome. Mm-hmm. And, um, in return, it's not even just me helping them. I, I believe that these stories that I've heard and seeing them go from, like I said, from the worst state to just this strong state of overcoming, it does something to me as well. And it helps me. So each one of these stories have helped me to grow because I can think back on, man, you know, I'm sitting here moaning and groaning about my situation and here this person comes who has been through so much, you know, look at them now, um, I'm going to be all right. <laughs> it's inspiring. You get inspired yes. by the people that you're actually yes. helping. That's remarkable. Yes. And yeah. so I guess my next question for you from that is, was that one of the things that helped you overcome just all of the difficulties of being a young officer and learning your field? Is that one of the things that sort of helped you overcome those hurdles? Like what helped you overcome being a young officer and trying to find your way? It played a part. Um, It definitely helped here and there as far as, you know, the sparks go. And every now and then, you know, I have the doubt on myself and that that would give me a spark. But all in all, I think it was just, there was something in my mind, I think that was just disconnecting from, my desire to be in the Air Force, there was some kind of disconnection. And I think a part of that was me feeling disconnected from people because, like I said, I didn't have a lot of people who were around me who I could talk to, who, you know, really understood me as a person and not just as an officer. It's not to say that you have to be two different people, but there's switch that you have to have, you know, when you walk into the office, as soon as I walked into the office, boom, I'm a leader. Right. <laughs> and, I can't, and there's nothing I can do about it. Everybody's watching me. There's certain things that I can't do when I'm in the office. And there's certain things that I can't talk about with people when I'm in the office, things that are really bothering me. And again, you know, I'm, I'm all the way in Japan. So yeah. if there's something happening back home and I'm worried about it, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm all the way over here in, in a whole other country. And there's, there's only so much you can really discuss in the workplace. It's really important to have somebody outside of work that you can go to and you can talk to. I didn't have that. Right. And so it got a little difficult for me. And it just, it actually took me to a place of depression. Mm-hmm. And um, fast forward, I get deployed and I'm deployed as a SARC and I'm in Germany in support of Africa. So I had to go downrange to all these different locations in Africa. And that started to take a toll on my body because I had to make sure that at every single Ford location, there were victim advocates that were trained up so that they can respond to sexual assaults should there ever be one right. at their location. And so I had to go downrange at least two to three times a month and I would stay for about a week at a time and I 
I was barely in Germany. I mean, like I spent my birthday sleeping on a cot in the oh. middle of the desert oh <laughs> in, in, in a tent. Like that's, that was my birthday. Wow. <laughs> and so, um, and it's not to say that that was the worst that could ever happen because there were folks that were down there at those particular locations for six months at a time. Right. Um, but that's just to show you that, you know, I wasn't living a cushiony life. You know, I'll tell people, yeah, I deployed to Germany and they're like, that's a vacation. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> You're like, no. It was not, it was not cushy for me. Okay. It was not cushy. <laughs> so, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, I'll go down range and I would train up victim advocates and I would be hopping from that base to another just to train more victim advocates and that base to another and then back to Germany for like three days and then back down range. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's yeah, a lot. So it really, it is. It was. It was. And I don't think my mind was prepared enough for that. I held it together for sure. But the toll that it took on me physically, mm-hmm. um, it was a lot. And um, I really had to find a way to turn my situation into something a little more positive. I started to understand that there are a lot of things that a person can go through and there can be two people that are going through the exact same thing. And one person, they come out, they see it in a positive light. And then there's another person that can see it in a negative light. And so I had to find a way to shift my mind because I I couldn't shift my situation. I couldn't get out. Right. right. I had, I, <laughs> once you're in, you're in until, until your service commitment is up. Right. Mm-hmm. So the only thing I could do was to shift my mindset. I had to teach myself how to do that. One of the ways that I taught myself to do that was, well, first, um, I actually ended up switching units, a new unit. This was like maybe like a year, a year, year and a half later for this deployment. So basically, I I got a new change in scenery Mm -hmm. that really helped because, you know, I I get a fresh start, right? Right. I can start all over. I can start from scratch and then go from there. And then it was the change in perspective. I had to shift my mindset to see what was around me and the things that were around me that I saw, it was better than I thought it was, you know? I looked at all the things that I'm learning as a leader and there are things that a lot of people don't get to learn. I I'm starting a business now and I, I started, I started reading a book. Um, it's a book by um, Dan Pena. Uh, a lot of people <laughs> heard yeah. about Dan Pena. He's a little rough around the edges, but yeah. he, there's a lot of truth to that he says. Yeah, he definitely is. Um, but I was, I was, uh, reading one of his books. Um, it's called the, uh, your first, uh, hundred million. And he's talking about all of these skills that a person needs to learn in order to be a successful business person. Right. right. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, like all these things that he's teaching, I am already learning in the military. <laughs> right. And I'm like, what? <laughs> this is awesome. And, and the same skills that I am being paid to get taught, being paid to learn, um, are 
they're the same skills that people on the outside of the military, they have to pay out of pocket for it. Right. And usually, and usually it's a pretty good amount of money that they have to pay in order to learn these skills. I'm learning how to manage people. I'm learning how to manage resources and I'm learning how to manage money. Doesn't that sound like like a CEO, right? Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, not even at an, at an officer level, like, because, you know, as an enlisted person, the skills that I learned, right. it's just, it, like, it was shocking things. that when I got out of the military in the area that I lived in, it was kind of difficult to get a job because, mm-hmm. and I kept thinking to myself, don't you guys get military training? Like military training is on my resume. Like, don't you get how important that is for organization? Mm-hmm. But you know what I also realized as the years have gone by is this is for the exact reason why a lot of us who have been officers or enlisted military mm-hmm. training end up owning our own businesses and doing our Absolutely. own thing because we have all those skills and we, even as enlisted, you learn effective leadership skills. Absolutely. So wow. And just do your own thing. And it actually a lot of times works better for us. So, so you're totally right. I mean, it, it doesn't matter if you're enlisted or an officer, those skills, that, that training is being pounded into us like mm-hmm. from day one, leadership, 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 even as an enlisted member, leadership, 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 because eventually you, I mean, even if you're enlisted, you will have airmen under you. Yes. And the more you rise in rank, the more airmen you'll be responsible for. Yes. And it was definitely a reward in, in that aspect. And I started to look at it from that point of view. And I thought to myself, like, man, I am sitting on a gold mine. Why am I so down in the dump? Yeah. Your mindset started to change. <laughs> Absolutely. I had to shift my focus from one side of the spectrum to the other side of the spectrum. What is it here around me that's going well? And then the third thing that really helped me out was I had to find that human connection. I had to find uh, some kind of connection, some kind of uh, really substantial, really deep connection with someone that was going through the same thing that I'm going through and had made it out on the other side. For me, that was actually Brian Rose, which is, oh which is what had led me to speak to Inspire. I liked his story. I, I mean, I knew I needed help with public speaking and I could have done Toastmasters, but it was the story that drew me in. He was talking about how he was the successful banker and he was making all this money and yet he just felt miserable because there was nobody around him. There was nobody around him who, you know, had the same mindset that he had and he felt alone. And so he yeah. just like, straight up quit his job right and then (laughs) and then he had to reassess things and kind of figure out what it is he wanted which was a change in perspective and then he went ahead and he got into the business of doing these videos and, and interviewing people and which for him that was his personal connection with people mm-hmm. and so I, I think uh, in a sense this happens to a lot of people who get in depression and I think these are kind of three really key things that can really help anyone I believe get out of a dark hour that they're going through and that really helped me and before you go biggest, on I'm just gonna reiterate this really quick so For anyone who's paying very, very close attention, 
you heard Deandra say there were three tools that she used in order to kick her depression and shift her mindset. And I just want to run them down really quickly. It was a change in scenery, a change in perspective, and a connection with another human being that could understand what you were going through. So for anyone out there struggling with depression, try it and see if it helps because it worked for DeAndrea, it worked for Brian Rose, and I'm pretty sure it'll work for you too. Absolutely. And um, uh, that's just, uh, um, that. it's really something that I like to talk about, especially especially when it comes to the life as an officer. And a lot of people will see an officer and they don't, they don't see what happens in the background. Right. Um, they only see in the office, they only see the smiles, they see the confidence, but they don't see what happens in the background and all the things that we got to go through. There's actually a, a lot of my friends who are also officers who had to go to mental health because they were dealing with the same things that I was dealing with. And a lot of people don't know that this is a problem. Right. There's a lot that we have on our shoulders and the more responsibilities that's given to us, it's more and more pressure. And it's very, very easy to slip into depression. It's very easy, especially if you're overseas. You're not just a quick flight away from your friends, right? Right. You're not just a quick drive away from your college buddies where you can go and you can talk to them about anything. You know, it's, you can call them on the phone, but you know, you got the time zone change thing and you can mm-hmm. only talk to them for a certain amount of time because at the time that they're going to sleep and you're about to go to work. Right. <laughs> It can be tough, but those three things, change in scenery, change in perspective, and a human connection, those are the three things that really helped me through. I would take those with me <laughs> all through life, and I'll always remember Absolutely. Absolutely. And incidentally, shout out to Brian Rose for that, um, and for being part of your journey and mine, right. really, in a slightly different way, but... Good, all good things coming out about Brian Rose and uh, the London Real. So, okay. That was incredible. <laughs> um, thank you so much for sharing your story about how it was to be a young officer with everything you had going on and talking about the SARC unit and the victims because that's really important. I mean, there's so many... I mean, I just don't know anyone that I served with that didn't witness something, you know, something like at least bullying or harassment or racism or military sexual trauma. And just to be a part of a unit that's there for these women and setting those up and just all of that good work is just really impressive and really, really needed, especially in the military with more and more women going in in every branch. It's pretty incredible. And I know that you are about to get out. And I talk to a lot of people who actually have a hard time with their transition. But you, having read Dan Pena, (laughs) have a leg up on this transition. So you'll have tax class, right? And that'll kind of get you going. But I've talked to a lot of people and they don't really feel like tax is that, that effective. What are you doing? in order to prepare for civilian life? I've never been a fan of, and not to say that I 
did not enjoy the journey. Um, but I've never been a fan of working for other people. I've always <laughs> me either. <laughs> and I and I love and I love my boss. I I, lo- I really do love my boss. Um, but I believe that it serves its purpose, and right. I believe after it has served its purpose, I believe it is. Um, you get to that point to where it's it's just time to branch out. It's time to just jump <laughs> and just make that leap of faith and start your own thing and go your own path. And you take all the things that you've learned in the past and you utilize those tools, the same tools that I was talking about and start my own thing. So for me, that thing is a logistics career. I have a logistics career business. It's called Time Zone Couriers. And we're subcontracted with DHL. And it's been an amazing journey. And I have, you know, somebody who is, very committed and, you know, mentoring me through the business and helping me to learn everything that I need to learn. And that's actually one of the tools that Dan Pena talks about is mentorship. He's a mentor. He's a, yes, he's a really big advocate in mentorship. And I want to, you know, encourage anyone out there who's trying to start their own business. It can be scary. I know. (laughs) <laughs> I know that it can be scary to just jump out there and you know, and you put your resources and your time and all your efforts in there. You just don't want it to fail. The best thing you could ever do for your business, for your future is to find a mentor and not just a mentor, but a coach. There was uh, he, he was a senior master sergeant at the time, but he just pinned on chief. And I remember a speech that he gave. It was, uh, he talked about the difference between a mentor, a coach, and a sponsor. A mentor, they're going to give you those golden nuggets. They're going to drop those nuggets on you here and there. They'll give you that aha moment. Yeah. But they're only there for, like, you ever gone bowling and you got, like, the bumpers on the side of the, you know, yeah. the lanes. They're the bumpers, right? <laughs> okay. They're not going to tell you. They're not going to be there for you, you know, day in and day out to tell you what to do and what not to do, right? They're just going to give you those nuggets. Whenever you have a question for them, you call them up and you ask them, but they're just going to give you those nuggets. Then there's a coach. Your coach is going to be the one that's, no kidding, holding your hand. If you're driving a car, your your coach is the equivalent to a passenger driver. <laughs> passenger right. driver. No, right. don't, don't make that turn. Don't do that. This is what mm-hmm. you do. Did you do that? Did you make sure you did that? You got to go do that. You got to go back and do that. That's going to be your coach, right? That's right. going to be the one who's in the trenches with you and they're giving you all of the, the technical advice. And then you have your sponsor. Your sponsor, everybody has that one person that they know who knows everybody. <laughs> like, no, like it doesn't matter what industry you're trying to get into. They're like, oh yeah, I know a guy. Oh yeah, I know a girl. Yeah, yeah, I know somebody. <laughs> That's your sponsor. Yeah. That's going to be the person to provide you opportunities because you can be prepared as as all get out. Um, but if the opportunity is not right in front of you, it's going to be harder for you to get there. It's going to take a little bit longer. So it's good for you to have that sponsor there that's going to open doors for you. And so right now I have a... Uh, and sometimes your mentor and your coach can be the same person. Right now, I have a mentor slash coach working on my sponsor. But it's all about putting yourself out there, you know? If you put yourself out there, if you have a mentor and a coach 
I think you're good to go. At some point, you will find that sponsor. You'll find every your team that will push you to where you want to be. That's incredible. Well, I got to thank you. My next question is, how can we help your business be successful? What can we do for you? Well, if you know, I'm also getting into real estate. If you know anyone who would be a good sponsor in that aspect, as well as a sponsor in logistics and helping me to learn the business, that would absolutely 100% help me. I try not to think so much as to what other people can do for me, but what can I do to give value? What can I do to give value to the people who are around me? How can I give value to other people? Because I strongly believe that if you can be the person giving value to the people around you, you will find all the connections that you need. That's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) But I was just going to ask you what advice you would give to everyone. And that almost sounds like it. I mean, (laughs) that is amazing. And I'm so glad that you shared that with us. And of course, we want to see you succeed. And I am so thankful for you coming and being a part of my little podcast for female veterans. The world famous (laughs) podcast. (laughs) All fingers crossed, right? So I, I appreciate you so much. And I just want everyone to look out for her career business and keep an eye out for DeAndrea. It seems to me like she's going to smash everything that she is going for. And civilian life better look out because I think you are going to absolutely <laughs> slay it. And I actually really wish I'd read Dan Pena before I come up with the military. Yeah, you got to read it. It's called your first hundred million. Your first yes. hundred million. So you heard it. You heard it here on the Female Veterans Podcast that <laughs> if you want to succeed, check out Dan Pena and read his book if you're going to make that life change into doing something different. You've heard today some very incredible tools on how to combat depression And I learned what it's like to be a young officer in the military and all the struggle that you have to go through. So that was pretty incredible. And I want to thank you so much for sharing your time with me and being a part of this. And for everybody out there. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. And everyone out there listening, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you for being a part of this journey with me. And that next week, we'll have another episode. So I'll appreciate you coming back. Please listen, review, and share your love with me and all the other female veterans sharing their stories on this podcast. There are so many more incredible stories as well to come. And I want to thank you for listening. I appreciate you guys so much. I love you guys, and I will talk to you next week.